I want my son to be a king. I don't want him to be some kind of two-bit spiritual leader. And so the story, the myth goes that um, the young prince was brought up not exposed to any kind of worldly experience that would make him have any deep thoughts and lead him to some kind of spiritual endeavor. And so if you can imagine some, although it's a bit like life in the United States for many people, a life that is completely devoid of any sign of sickness, old age, death, or any kind of difficulty. This is what the father struggled to produce for the son and uh, up to a certain point successfully had done so. So this is from what are called the uh, an introduction to the Jataka tales, which are in Buddhism, there is a belief in rebirth. In India, in general, there's a belief in rebirth. That's just kind of what everybody thinks is the case. And um, so the Jataka tales are the tales that are associated with Buddha's prior lives. So in the introduction to that, this is the scripture that occurs there. Now, on a certain day, the future Buddha wished to go to the park and told his charioteer to make the chariot, make ready the chariot. Accordingly, the man brought out a sumptuous and elegant chariot, and adorning it ritually, he harnessed to it four state horses of the Sindhava breed, as white as the petals of the white lotus, and announced to the future Buddha that everything was ready. And the future Buddha mounted the chariot, which was like to a palace of the gods, and proceeded towards the park. The time for the enlightenment of Prince Siddhartha draws near, nigh, thought the gods, we must show him a sign. And they changed one of their number into a decrepit old man, broken tooth, gray-haired, crooked and bent of body, leaning on a staff and trembling, and showed him to the future Buddha, but so that only he and the charioteer saw him. Then said the future Buddha to the charioteer in the manner related in the Mahapadana, Friend, pray, who is this man? Even his hair is not like that of other men. And when he heard the answer, he said, Shame on birth, since to everyone that is born, old age must come. And agitated in heart, he thereupon returned and ascended his palace. Why has my son returned so quickly? asked the king. Sire, he has seen an old man, was the reply. And because he has seen an old man, he is about to retire from the world. So Buddha sees an old man and is so distraught that this is the fate of human beings that it's leading him with a desire to escape from ordinary life. In those days in India, 2,500 years ago, and it's still the case today, people would drop out. They would become wanderers in search of the answers to what is life all about? How does one become free of suffering? How does one become free of the cycle of suffering? And so seeing this old, decrepit person, Buddha was became motivated to drop out and retire from the world. So the father says, do you want to kill me that you say such things? He didn't want his son to become a wanderer. He didn't want his son to become a dropout. Quickly get ready some plays to be performed for my son before my son. If we can 
but get him to enjoying pleasure, he will cease to think of retiring from the world. So this is very, very important. It's mythic, but I'll say more about it when I get into the substance of my talk. But what do you do to keep somebody engaged in ordinary life? Pleasurable plays. In our lives, it would be TV and it would be our cell phones. Uh, don't have him be thinking about anything serious. Let's keep him distracted. Then the king extended the guard to half a league in each direction. Again, on a certain day, the future Buddha was going to the park. He saw a diseased man who the gods had fashioned, and having made inquiry, he returned again, agitated in heart and ascended his palace. And the king made the same inquiry and gave the same orders as before, and again extended the guard placed them for three-quarters of a league around. And again, on a certain day, the future Buddha was going to the park. He saw a dead man whom the gods had fashioned. And having again made inquiry, he made some... He returned agitated and hard, ascended his palace. And the king made the same inquiry and gave the same orders as before. And again, extending the guard, placed them for a league around. Again, on a certain day, as the future Buddha was going to the park, he saw a monk, carefully and decently clad, whom the gods had fashioned. And he has asked his charioteer, pray, who is this man? Now, although there was no Buddha in the world, and the charioteer had no knowledge of either monks or their good qualities, yet by the power of the gods he was inspired to say, Sire, this is one who has retired from the world, and thereupon proceeded to sound the praises of retirement from the world. The thought of retiring from the world was pleasing to the future Buddha. So, Buddha sees an old person, an ill person, a sick person, terrifying, and then sees a monastic, somebody who has dropped out and is dedicating their life to spiritual pursuit. And he's inspired and motivated to do something different, to study and figure out how to become free himself. So there is some value where there can be some value to emotional shocks in our lives. And most people have experienced some value when they've bump up, bumped up against shocks in their lives. Of course, all of us have had shocks where we feel, oh my God, this is terrible and I'll never get over this. And how can I possibly get over this? And ideally, I mean, some people get stuck for sure, but ideally something occurs that's difficult and it motivates us. It inspires us. It moves us and motivates us to think about things differently. Everybody who is here this morning is here because you're motivated by something. You come to talk on spirituality and meditation and a practice of meditation looking for something. And it can be very, very varied. Some people come to meditation looking to quiet down or become less stressful. Some people come to teachings on meditation to open their heart and to develop a more compassionate, loving attitude. Some people come to an event like this 
because they want to be part of a spiritual community. And they explicitly want to be around other people who are thinking and practicing something that is more profound. These are all wonderful and real motivations. And they are motivations. You come here for a reason. And it's important to know your reason. I've been uh, reading passages by Viktor Frankl, uh, who was a psychotherapist who was in Auschwitz and very, very uh, significantly came away from his experience feeling that it is our search for meaning and our need for meaning that really animates our our health, our mental health, and that an absence of meaning is what would be associated with difficulties in living. And that what he saw in terms of who survived uh, in the concentration camps was it wasn't the people who really like figured out how to s scratch a piece of bread here and there and, 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 and figured out how to sort of get some nourishment there. It was the people who had a why to their lives, a why to survive. And for him, the why had to do with uh, a hope of being reunited with his wife. And also, I mean, it's very, very touching to contemplate. He actually imagined talking to a group of psychotherapists about the quest for meaning and how the quest for meaning animated him and allowed him to face unbearable situations in the concentration camps. And then, of course, uh, 40 years later, he was, you know, an American Psychological Association giving the talk that he, in a sense, had envisioned. And I think it's very, very important to recognize the significance that our motivation can bring to our lives and to our engagement with uh, every aspect of our lives. So we're going to be spending all of the first and third Tuesdays this summer talking about motivation. And you might think, why are we going to spend so much time talking about motivation? What's the big deal? It's a great question. Well, you may in a way in inherently know the answer and you may know the answer for yourself. Within the framework of Buddhism, there is talk of a certain kind of not knowingness that pervades our lives. We are unaware of things as they truly are. That in some deep way, we don't actually see things clearly. And there are all sorts of levels of not knowingness that I think we all are aware of. We all in some ways know that we sometimes even knowingly participate in a kind of make-believe. And sometimes it's actually useful to be able to have that capacity to put things out of mind, 
but there are deep ways in which, for example, we don't necessarily acknowledge impermanence. And even if we really contemplate impermanence a lot, the fact that we experience such deep, deep shock and surprise when someone gets sick or somebody dies or when a cup breaks means that some very, very deep level we haven't taken in and internalized how fragile existence actually is. And so the metaphor in a way for not knowing in, in Buddhism is kind of sleep. Buddha means awakening, awakened, the awakened one associated with awakening. And we're all in a kind of spiritual sleep. And the reason we talk about motivation in a spiritual context is that all of us, including myself, are kind of intrinsically and inherently oriented to the same old, same old. We will persist in our habitual patterns as a matter of course, unless we are motivated to change. And we don't even have to talk about spirituality. I'm sure at least half of the people in this audience at some point or another have decided they want to go on a diet or they want to exercise or they want to learn to play an instrument or they want to learn a foreign language or they want to go back to school. And anytime we try to do something differently, we realize that we are needing to be in touch with our motivation. I don't know how many people in this room had been smokers or are smokers. <laughs> but, you know, stopping smoking is a great example of, you know, most people know it's kind of deadly, terrible. And I mean, if you've smoked for more than a week, you know, you climb up a, st a flight of stairs, you're going to already start feeling it. But right there, there's this kind of, you can be asleep to it, you can sort of make believe it's not happening. And then you may be motivated to want to stop smoking. And anybody who's tried knows how difficult that is. So the same occurs with spiritual life. Something may happen. We may see something on TV about mindfulness. We may read an article about meditation. All of our friends may be nowadays talking about, oh, I'm practicing some meditation. It calms me down. So we hear about that and we come here on a Sunday. Cool. And maybe we experience something, even a little bit of a change. Cool. But next Sunday, there's a football game or a baseball game or a picnic or a card game 
where everybody's going out for drinks. It's very enticing. I know this. We all know this. And so there is an actual kind of struggle on a day-to-day -day basis when one is interested in spirituality as to can one bring to mind a motivation that animates us to change our behavior. It's very, very hard to perforate our ongoing ordinary behavior. If you're used to eating at seven, and then you're used to maybe putting your children to bed, and then you're used to your TV show for 45 minutes, and then you either have your tea, your coffee, or your martini before you go to sleep, and you know, and you come to talk to me as a meditation teacher, and I say, can you find 10 minutes, 20 minutes to sit and meditate? You say, well, in theory, but when it comes to it, you know, there's my TV show, and then there's my martini, and, and then I go to bed. And it starts feeling like a concrete block with no space in it. No blame. We all face this. We all face this. But maybe, you know, you've tried meditating or you've come here and you feel a little bit different in the company of many people meditating and it has some effect on you and you bring that to mind and it allows you to get over a hump and to find the five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or eventually a day or two days to do a retreat. But motivation is, in a way, key in that process. And so it's very, very helpful to hear what has motivated people classically. But certainly one of the things we'll do on first and third Tuesdays of summer is we're going to do a lot of discussion amongst the community to hear what works for people in modern 2018, you know, modern life whether it be our compatriots in Europe who listen online and Latin America who listen online, or people here, what allows us to actually even get here on a Sunday or to find five minutes in an evening to do something different or 15 minutes to do something different? It's a kind of a big issue, and we want to support people in their spiritual lives with ways of contemplating life and understanding life that may animate engagement with something like meditation, prayer, contemplation, reading on a regular basis. If you enjoyed this teaching, please visit our website, dawnmountain.org to subscribe to this course and find other great Dharma offerings. May all beings always have happiness in its causes. May all beings always be free of pain in its causes.